Hi, I'm Brett Robinson. Welcome to the Redeeming Hope Podcast, where we share biblical truths that'll give you real hope. What is real hope? It's a hope that is relevant, energizing, authentic, and linked to Jesus. Today's podcast is part two of the courage to live an extraordinary life. And I'm going to pick up by reading from 2 Samuel chapter 23 and from verse 13. One day during harvest, the three departed from the thirty and joined David at the cave of Adullam. A squad of Philistines had set up camp in the valley of Rephaim. While David was holed up in the cave, the Philistines had their base camp in Bethlehem. David had a sudden craving and said, Would I ever like a drink of water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem? Now, I want to talk to you about the lay of the land. There are three distinct places which is mentioned during this passage. Uh, so the first is the cave of Adullam. The second is the valley of Rephaim. And the third, of course, is Bethlehem. Let's look at the first. And I want to look at the meaning of each of these because I really believe it gives us insight into not only what was happening then and the significance of it, but the significance of what it actually means for us today as well. And I believe as we go through the names of these different places and the meaning of them, that you'll begin to see that this is actually a prophetic story that paints a picture of something to come. So firstly, the cave of Adullam. David is holed up there, and the word means a retreat, a refuge, and a hiding place. So David is in this place of refuge, looking out over his future and waiting to see what's going to transpire, waiting on God to show him what's next. And kind of like us as well, many times we find ourselves in life retreating to a place of safety, a refuge, a hiding place, going, Lord, what's next for me? Kind of looking out past the difficulties, the challenges. David had the Philistines in uh, the valley of Rephaim and in Bethlehem. And he was looking out over all this going, what's next? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get past this? Lord, what have you got in store for me? So the thing is, Bethlehem for David was a place of particular significance and we're going to look at that in a moment or two but firstly between him and Bethlehem is the valley of Rephaim and the Philistines have got a camp set up over there so the word Rephaim is more than the name of a place it's what it signifies the word Rephaim means terrible ones 
and they are described in the Bible as giants and mighty men. They are synonymous with the sons of Anak and the Nephilim. The Rephaim are mentioned in Exodus when the Israelites were trying to enter the Promised Land. The Rephaim were living in Canaan and the Israelites were terrified of them. The Israelites didn't want to go into the Promised Land because it was inhabited with giants. We can read in Numbers 13.33 about the sons of Anak. It says the spies came back to Israel and told the people that the land which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So this valley of the Rephahim signified this mighty obstacle that um, had come against uh, the people of God in the past and that now stood between him and Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? Well, Bethlehem is a small town located 10 kilometers south of Jerusalem. It is where David was crowned king of Israel and is referred to in the New Testament as the city of David. Bethlehem is a combination of two Hebrew words. Beth means the house and the Hebrew word lehem means of bread. So the house of bread was also the birthplace of Jesus the Christ. And Micah the prophet forecast that Bethlehem was where the Messiah would come forth. Emmanuel, God with us. So Bethlehem was a place of significance both for David and would become significant as the birthplace of Christ. The Hebrew letters making up the word Bethlehem also hold special meaning that gives us special insights into the purposes of God. Each letter in and of itself contains meaning and this is amazing. Let me say up front that I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but this is what I discovered through my studies. That the first letter, Beit, means son of God. The next one, Yut, means to work a mighty deed. The next one, Tav, means to seal a covenant by the sign of the cross. Lamed means to have authority. Chet means to provide a sanctuary of safety. And Mem means living water. And now when we put all those together, we come up with this amazing uh, definition. The Son of God is going to do a mighty deed. This deed will seal a covenant and be identified with the sign of the cross. The Son of God has the authority to provide a sanctuary of safety where He will give those that have received Him the water of eternal life. 
And these facts are an extract from an article by an author called C.K. Lovick. So credit goes to him. But isn't that amazing that that whole definition, that whole meaning, that whole prophetic picture is caught up in the very name of Bethlehem. And we see the fulfillment of this in John 4 from verse 10 to 14 where Jesus meets with a woman at the well and Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the prophecy. Let's go back to our story of the three mighty men who went to fetch David the water. When they departed to fetch the water, why didn't they take on and engage with the enemy in combat? Now this may seem like a pretty crazy question and I'm sure there's some of you saying well, Brett, the answer is pretty obvious. There were only three of them, and there were whole encampments of the enemy. But you have to go back and read the whole chapter to put the question in context. Because each of them individually had fought and won mighty battles against huge odds. In fact, just one of them whom it calls the captain of the three, single-handedly defeated about 800 men in battle. So together they would certainly have been a formidable force who could certainly have taken on an unsuspecting enemy. So I don't think it's just down to a question of odds, the three against the many. I think the answer is that the story is a prophetic picture that points to Jesus. Let's look at a couple of differences between this story and Jesus who was to come. Well, the three warriors were just men, but Jesus was both God and man. They were warriors under David's command. But Jesus is Lord over the armies of heaven. In their quest to get the water for David, they never spilt their own blood. But Jesus shed his own blood to give us living waters and eternal life. And the water they fetched for David would only provide temporary relief. But Jesus gives us living water and those who drink it will never 
thirst again, as we just read in John 4. They fetched enough water for one man, but Jesus has made provision for all mankind. They didn't defeat the enemy that day or that night when they went on their quest. But Jesus defeated sin, the devil, and his demons for all time. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, it says about Jesus, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The next point is, David never drank the water the three brought back for him. In fact, the scripture records that he poured it out as an offering to God, saying that it was like their lifeblood because they risked their very lives to fetch that water for him. However, if we look at a picture of the Last Supper in Mark 14 and 22, it says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So you see, this amazing story about these men who go on this remarkable quest, despite incredible odds, to fetch water from the well of Bethlehem for David, is really a prophetic picture that talks about the Messiah to come, who would provide living water, not just for one person, but for all mankind. What are some of the lessons that we can learn from the story? Well, David and his mighty men fought and defeated many enemies, even giants. And they learned that as they looked to God and stood their ground, that they could succeed even against tremendous odds because God fought for them and gave them the victory. And sometimes there'll seem to be giants blocking our way. But regardless of the size of the giants and how intimidating they may seem, they are powerless against the mighty name of Jesus. Don't look at the size of the giants. Look at the size of our God. They learned that they were stronger when they stood together. There's power in unity. Let's not let the enemy sow division into our relationships with our fellow believers. Let's rather worship together, pray together, share the word together, work together, live life and laugh often together. We're meant to fight the enemy, not each other. The next lesson is God will make a way even 
when there seems to be no way. There really seemed no possible way that anyone could get water from Bethlehem for David that night. The odds were stacked against them. But yet, they made it happen. And the lesson for us is, never say never. Against incredible odds, those three courageous men brought the water to David that he had longed for. There's always a way if you're willing to trust God and step out of your comfort zone. If you're willing to trust God and be obedient. If you're willing to trust God and exercise your faith. The next lesson is stop being worried about your life and rather be a faith warrior. Would you rather grow your worry or grow your faith? Worry will only ever steal your peace, steal your joy, and be a drain to all around you. However, faith will only ever grow your peace, grow your joy, and bless all those around you. Choose to be a blessing. And on a light-hearted note, as we end, someone once said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight that counts, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And no, it wasn't Snoop Dogg. Actually, it was Mark Twain. I want to encourage you as we end by saying this. If you're a believer, God has planted in you the faith and the courage to live an extraordinary life. It's up to you and me to see with the eyes of faith and to see our past as redeemed, our present and future as blessed, and to believe that with all of our hearts. Sometimes that's not easy. Many times what we see with our physical eyes and here with our physical ears can be disheartening. But even as the three mighty warriors believed with their hearts that they could do it, and they succeeded despite the odds, when we choose to see with the eyes of faith, and when we tune our ears into God's voice and listen to Him, he will grant us all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He will lead us and guide us and make a way for us, even when there seems to be no way. In actual fact, God has already made a way and His name is Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, it's not complicated. You can call on Him right now, whether you've never known Him or whether you've known Him all your life. It's as simple as reaching out in prayer by faith and saying, Jesus, I call on your name. I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for me to forgive my sins, to save me, 
and to give me eternal life. Lord, I believe in you. I thank you for your life. I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, be encouraged today and find the faith and courage to live an extraordinary life. Thanks for tuning in. I pray that the message of God's Word will build your faith and develop a hope that is so strong it's like an anchor for your soul. Go ahead and subscribe and why not share the message with a friend?